Hi, how's everybody doing? My name is Pasha Ajian. I'm with two of my panelists that have been working on Team Melee this, throughout this whole tournament. We have Sina Sinai and I'm Bobak Goldreeves. And go on, guys. Hi, everyone. Hello, guys. It's good to speak to you. Yeah, so today, obviously, we want to talk and want to wrap things up for Iran. Um, today, we want to discuss about the Iran versus Bosnia game. And honestly, it was a very, very disappointing game. And my first question to you guys, and I'm going to start off with Cena with this one, is what were your thoughts on the lineup? Do you agree with what Kairos had in store for us? Um, yeah, the lineup was good because we agreed on it the last time around when we were speaking as well. Yeah. We, all, we, both, we all agreed that um, Kairos should go with the same lineup as he did against Argentina. So, yes, the lineup was, you know, the best lineup we could have gone with, personally, I think. I think it was anyway. But the tactics weren't necessarily what they should have been. I think um, as it has been a theme for us during the tournament, you know, to sit back and defend and make sure we have that clean sheet and then, you know, just as we go as we go further into the game we can attack the team and, and try and nick a goal. But we didn't do that against Bosnia. We we kind of um, just sold our tactics to the fact that we needed to get the win and we kind of paid for it by poor defending i mean it was it was a really disappointing game to be honest i i really yeah definitely was. I, i'm not saying we should have won the game but if we were going to lose it we could have lost it by one goal or you know in a in a tight game but it wasn't that at all we we completely got um you know it, it was it was a well well deserved win for bosnia i thought yeah. it was Bye-bye. Uh, well, lineup. I think it was expected, like Sina said. Uh, we predicted as much. Uh, in terms of the setup, I'm not surprised of the way we approached the game because the team is set up to counter-attack. But the thing was, it just felt that uh, things were not happening for us. Bosnia are not as adventurous as the other two opponents that we've had. So they were happy to let us have more of the ball and when we had the ball we couldn't do much with it we didn't know what to do let's say so i really can't blame the players the thing is our preparation has been based on playing teams where we get dominated and as much as bosnia were better than us they didn't really dominate the ball as much in the final third as the other two opponents they they were happy to keep the ball in defense and their middle third and pass it around bring the tempo down and they wouldn't have more than two or three or four players in attack at any given time so that played against our our strengths let's say and kirosh wasn't able to transition the game as well as he did in the other game so it's pretty much because we our players are not experienced enough in that set scenario, I mean, all our wins, if you look at it against Uzbekistan, against Korea, in the in the earlier games against Argentina, even against Nigeria, there was the, the pattern of the game was a, was in a certain manner, and this game did not follow that pattern too much. We had too much of the ball, if you could if you could accept that, and uh, we didn't know what to do with it. So it was very disappointing. Uh, my whole assessment of the tournament kind of deviated a little bit after that game. Um, I was very happy at the end of the Argentina game, except for the result. I was happy with the performance, the style, everything. But against uh, Bosnia, at the end of it, we saw our shortcomings. I was a little bit disappointed at Kirosh. At the very least, I expected more offensive subs earlier in the game. Maybe uh, at halftime, I would have brought on Jahan Bachor and Sarifad. They came in too late. Hey, Daddy came on early. I didn't see the reason why. Overall, 
I would say it kind of tarnished the whole uh, World Cup for me. Yeah, you know, the first two games, you know, Kadosh, his tactics were spot on. And the last game that was basically the one that we all knew we had to win, and it was before even the tournament started, we all knew we had to beat Bosnia in the last game, and that was really disappointing. We created more chances against Argentina. We were a bigger threat against Argentina than we were against Bosnia, which that's, that was the biggest disappointment. And the biggest disappointment, honestly, was I don't know why Susic, uh, he didn't use the same lineup he did against us, against Nigeria. You know, he had Kolasinic as left back, his preferred position, you know. He had Mohamed Besic and Pijanic starting, and there's a lot of rumors that they were not going to be out, and if they were out, that would be even more vital to us. But overall, you know, it was it was very disappointing because Argentina was actually helping us out. They were, they were actually helping us to go to the next round, but we weren't helping ourselves out to go to the next round, which that was the biggest disappointment at all. And the biggest is, yeah. I just wanted to point two things out as well. Remember that discussion that we had last week, whether we would rather lose or draw to Bosnia? Yeah. To go out or, you know, get knocked out on coin toss. Yeah. So which one do you prefer now? Probably coin toss. <laughs> Probably yeah, coin toss. I, yeah. I heard mumbling over there, but I heard coin toss. So yeah, coin toss. You know, it's just you know, it's like the biggest disappointment, honestly, with this one was that Argentina was helping us. You know, we didn't help ourselves. You know, we didn't. I think Cena said it last week. We should just focus on our game and yeah. we can't control what's outside. So. Whether Argentina won or not, I mean, we all had our eye on the Argentina game yeah. as well, but we, we couldn't get it done. I never thought it would be easy. I actually yeah. thought it would probably be the game where we, we, the fact that Bosnia were out to liberate them a little bit and the pressure and the onus would be on us. I, I kind of felt that it's, this is how it's going to turn out, and we're not gonna, we're gonna come short against Bosnia. Yeah. So Bobak, I'm gonna give the yeah, go see One more thing as well. Yeah. The way we conceded the goals was even more disappointing. I mean, it was. Uh, it was, I, w- I want to say, defensive suicide, but it was it was really poor goals that we conceded. I mean, the first one, it was it was a long-range shot. I mean, I can't remember the last time, I mean, since Kairos has been in charge that we conceded a goal, apart, of, apart from this World Cup, of course, against Messi. But the last time we conceded a goal in a, you know, you know a long-range shot. And it was really too many players backing off. Yeah. Too many yeah, players backing off. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Suddenly should have came out and, you know, pressurised Jacob. But he didn't, and we paid for it. Again, your second goal, it was a defensive mistake by Hussein. I'm not really going to point it out that much because I thought he was great in the last two games. And the third one, it was just a textbook counter-attack which we couldn't uh, we couldn't deal with. So for a team that went into the tournament with a defensive mindset and, and ba- you know basing their game on a defensive display, I think it was really disappointing with the manner of the goals that we conceded. Of course, the result wasn't ideal, but again, I think the way we conceded the goals didn't really yeah, it, it made it even more disappointing. At this, level, at, at this level, the better quality player is mentally better. Uh, they stand out. And that's where like players in Bosnia and Argentina, those are the players who are switched on for longer during the games. And the players like our players, lesser experienced players, they will switch off for a few seconds here and there. And that's where it's costly. So so we're not used to playing against players like Pjanic, who's one of the best central midfielders in the world, and he's already been one of the standout players in the World Cup, even though they got knocked out, or the likes of, obviously, Messi, Dzeko. These are as really shown himself to be something. He's actually moving to Valencia, I heard. Yeah, so he these is. are players that we're not used to playing against. The only country that would probably have any caliber player on this level in Asia would be Japan. So we're not used to playing these kind of players. So it's a, it's a different ball game. And the fact that we need to be playing friendly games against better opposition. I don't mind losing against these sort of players on a regular basis, but the 
our boys get to know that we can play against them on the same on the same pitch. We're, we're not we're no lesser than they are. And over time, the fact that it becomes routine and normal, it becomes easier for them to adapt to situations like playing against Bosnia and not to be overwrought or overwhelmed by coming up against Dzeko or Pjanic or Messi or, or whoever. But uh, over, we, we can't complain because that's the parameters that we've been set for Team Melli with the federation and sanctions and etc. Definitely. But the thing that I want to like talk to you guys more in depth is that why don't you guys think Susic went with the same lineup against us that he did against Nigeria? Yeah, I don't... Is that, is that something... That, that was not shocking to you guys? Because he took the Nigeria game very, very easily as compared to our game. You know, he went with Ibisevic and Jago, two brilliant strikers. He was playing the 4-4-2. And against the Nigeria game, even he didn't even, even have Kolasinic starting. And that even hurt him on the left-hand side when Emineke hit pass one of their defenders and passed it to Odin Wiggy for the finishing. Is that I any... think when, when, you, when you're knocked out and you have nothing to play for, you're more liberated. Susic knows that it's probably his last game in charge. He yeah. has nothing to lose. He's going to go with an offensive lineup. I mean... Uh, uh, I'm not that surprised. I actually expected a strong lineup. But yeah. I, I, despite reading reports that Pjanic may not play or this yeah, guy exactly. will not play, I always felt that he's going to go with the strongest lineup possible. He, he has nothing to lose. He's under so much pressure in Bosnia. And in fact, that victory made the team get back home, received as heroes. I mean, they had a great reception in Sarajevo. So I'm not that surprised. And again, we, we shouldn't really be looking at Bosnia. We should be looking at ourselves more. Yeah, Sina? Yeah, I agree. I think that because of the huge pressure that he was under, it was always predictable that he would go out for the win. And especially, uh, you know, from their point of view, Iran is the team that, uh, you know, they are most likely to get the win. So it wasn't really that surprising to me that Ibisevic and Dzeko started because usually in the last two games, Ibisevic was more of a plan B. I mean, we saw that against Argentina yeah. when he came on and scored the goal and against Nigeria as well. So, yeah, I think I think it was predictable because uh, they, you know, he wanted the team, he wanted his team to get something from this World Cup and not go home empty-handed. True. So one, uh, now we want to talk about individually. Uh, for me, I think like Hagi seemed a bit off. He seemed like really nervous, even even the, when the last goal was con- the third goal that they con- Iran considered. He just felt like I don't know. Just felt like he was like really nervous in the whole entire game. What did you guys think about his performance? Um, how did he? I think he he seems he seems a little bit um, downhearted. At, you know, every single game. I mean. Personally, I don't want to see a keeper, you know, with that with that mindset. Yeah. You, know, you don't want your keeper to, you know, you don't want his head to go down after every goal that he concedes. You want him to come back, you know, with more confidence and redeem himself. And he doesn't really uh, come across as a very confident goalkeeper. I mean, he played really well in the first two games. And I don't really want to point the blames at him for the last game against Bosnia. No, not I think at all. If we, are, if we are going to blame anyone, then, uh, you know, there are more players that we could blame. But, uh, yeah, he... he I mean, he could have done be- done better uh, with a couple of the goals that Bosnia scored, but again, you know, it, it's just uh, I think it, it'd be too harsh to blame and blaming on, on uh, you know every goal that we conceded. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, he for me, he's a solid but unspectacular goalkeeper. Yeah. What I feel is he he's, he seems to be a safe pair of hands at best. I I don't think he's he's ever going to be a top top goalkeeper, even by Iranian standards. This is my personal opinion. I haven't seen enough yet to. 
to 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 change my opinion. I mean, based on his history, where he's played before, the kind of performances he's had before, he seems solid. I don't think he's going to be on the caliber of the likes of Abedzadeh or obviously Hejazi, even Rahmati at his best. I really don't. But he seems to be solid. He's made the kind of saves that you'd expect any decent goalkeeper to make. The kind of goals he's conceded, they've been almost unstoppable. Probably, maybe the likes of Courtois could have tipped uh, uh, Messi's shot across the across the wall, or maybe he could have reached uh, the Jekyll's uh, fingertips to Jekyll's shot as well. But uh, we're talking about top caliber goalkeepers, yeah. so he hasn't conceded goals that uh, were soft, let's say. But he's not the kind of goalkeeper that I. Feel feel has the spectacular in him now whether that means he's a bad goalkeeper no i don't think so i think he's solid uh was he less confident like you said or not maybe that's that's the kind of personality he has he seems to be he seems to be a quiet keeper he seems to like the limelight a little bit i see he's very active in social media he feels like he's fishing for almost fishing for support or compliment compliments or attention he, he seems to have that sort of personality mm. so I, I i don't i don't know him personally obviously but i can judge him based on what i've seen on the pitch and he seems to be solid let's just Let's just, say, let's just say that. I haven't seen him personally play for... Uh, I mean, he's loaned out from Ruben Kazan to, I believe, a second division team in Portugal. Have you guys ever watched him play for his club or anything? No, no, no. Just no. the first place he stays. Just, yeah, just the first. That's, that's how I know him from, honestly. So, my next question to you guys was, what do you think went wrong for us in this whole game? Like, individually, or was it just the tactics of Kairos, or what What was it, Babak? Uh, I think... I can't blame the players yeah, yeah. because they've been asked to play in a certain system and a certain strategy and they pulled it off against Nigeria and they really did pull it off against Argentina as well. Now, against Bosnia, to ask them to change and forget what they've been training on for almost, I'd say, the last six months, if not longer, uh, it's very difficult. They they may be able to play a bit like Algeria. Who knows? I mean, a coach that liberates them might allow them to play that way. Are they good enough to pull off results that way? I, I have my doubts. But I really can't play in the players. I can. I, I have a little bit of a thing with K. Rush's, uh, let's say, approach or changes yeah. in the game. I feel like uh, he could have at least... I mean, okay, fine. We're not able to attack them or whatever. I would put more offensive players on the pitch anyway. I would have... Halftime, I would have brought on Jahanbach for sure. And uh, I would have brought on Ansari Fad and played with two strikers earlier, maybe in the 60th minute or something. And I would have had two players there, two offensive players in a lineup and give them more of a chance. I would have probably tried a little bit more direct because we're not good at building the play. We don't have tempo in our game. But by the time we're passing it across and going forward, they've got 10 men behind the ball. So I would have gone direct to Ansari Fad a little bit more. And I would have seen what would have happened. So I don't think we gave it a shot. That's my... Yeah. my uh, let's say disappointment. I feel like we had more to offer in this game through different tactics or strategy. And I will wonder what if, what if, and that's largely stops at the door of Carlos Kerosh. Sina? Yeah, I agree. I, I think the way we said to give it a go, but unfortunately it didn't work out that way at all. We, I, I mean, we, I don't want to say barely troubled Bosnia, but I think it was a, I mean, it was a comfortable win for them. I mean, it was it was really disappointing. I think honestly, yeah. disappointing to to watch the game. And as we touched on it before as well, it was he wasn't the players. Uh, even though you could say for saying he could have done better in the second goal, but I think the way they performed in the last, I mean, in the first two games, um, you know, it's just you can't you can't blame on the players at all. They were 
even till the very last second against Bosnia, they were working, they were running, they were just giving everything they had. And as uh, Kero said after the game as well, he said um, we had mentally and physically reached our limits against Bosnia. And you could see that in the players as well. They were tired. They, I mean, Puladi, who, who was running non-stop against uh, Argentina and Nigeria, yeah. you could see him you know, in the latter stages of the Bosnia game. He was... He was really tired. He was just flying into into tackles, and um, yeah, I think I think um, uh, yeah, as Kero said, you know, we reached our limits mentally and physically. Yeah. But one thing he did promise us was that our players would live their skins on the pitch, and um, and thankfully they did that, and that was one thing that he did promise us. Now my other question to you guys. Now we obviously talked a little bit about the substitutions. I was shocked that Haydari came in. I mean, I was obviously expecting Jao and Bash and answer Do you guys both think they were gonna come in? But what do you think he brought in Haydari? Did was he effective in the game for you guys or not? See now. Um, you have to ask Baba because honestly, I've been thinking about it for a week. I'm still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So all right, Baba, go ahead, man. I actually I don't I, I couldn't understand the substitution yeah. I didn't see what he brought to the game he made some very uh, questionable decisions early on with his crossing as well so overall I think Heydari has been uh, a shadow of what he used to be capable of when he was a little bit younger uh, he's now on the wrong side of 30 he's lost a little bit of pace uh, I'm not sure if he's at his best attacking from a very uh, advanced position he seemed to be the kind of player who would come from right back, run through, and then gather some pace and position and send the crosses in. That was his strength back in the days in the Saglal. He's not the best. It's like, it's like putting Danny Alves in uh, on the right side of attack and expecting him to give you the same result. On paper, you think, you know what? He's a very attacking player, so he's going to do me the same job. But in reality, yeah. one of the elements that is needed for a play like that is the fact that they get a, a far a high run up towards the attack in the final third so I I don't think Heydari played well in the World Cup and uh, the substitution and was he was our first substitution in the game like that was the biggest shock to me I was <laughs> expecting Ansar Yifat and Jao Bastian and then I see bloody hell Heydari not even okay fine okay Heydari is more experienced than Beitosher but I was expecting at least somebody like Beitosher that is more attacking and you know I was just shocked as soon as I saw Heydari I'm like what the hell is this? We're down. We gotta score two goals to advance. When, he came, when he came in, um, a part of me thought one of the reasons why he came in was because uh, he decided to go with Kuchan um, Nejad and Dejaga as a front two. I mean, it, it looked like it anyway. So we were yeah. playing with a midfield four. So I thought one of the reasons why he is coming in is because he has that running ability so he can cover more ground in midfield to, um, to hustle the Bosnian midfield. But I mean, uh, it didn't really look like that either. I so actually, I think, I think uh, at the end of the first half, he realized that Guchai Nejad is not able to hold on to the ball up front. So I think what happened was he moved Dejava up front and he moved Guchai Nejad in Dejava's position yeah. a little bit further back. That allowed us to hold on to the ball a little bit better in the final third. I mean, Dejaga had uh, good movement. He gets tired very quickly. Mm -hmm. But uh, even when Ansari Farad came on, Gucci was a little bit further back. So uh, he, I've always had my doubts about him in terms of his physical ability to, to, be, to lead the line. He's done it well in Asia, despite being isolated. But when you're playing against the likes of Argentina, etc., yeah, as much as you're going to hassle the defenders, etc., you need some presence up there as well. And he doesn't have the technique that Dejava has, or let's say the strength that Ansari Farad may have. So you've seen that some uh, later on in the games, despite the fact that he didn't want to take him off the uh, off the pitch because he may score a goal at any time, but he felt 
that he wasn't producing up front, so he moved him a little bit further back and allowed another focal point in attack. So mm. I think I actually think he stuck with the same formation. Uh, he didn't go up too fr- too ahead, too to a front, and uh, he had uh, Gucci a little bit further into the deeper into the pitch. Right. Anything I like to add to that, Sina? No, that's fair enough. I mean, as I say, to me, it looked like he was playing with two up front because yeah, I felt like Gucci Nijad wasn't getting. getting <laughs> To say you know the necessary help to to hold the ball up or you know he wasn't able to do it anyway so I thought he he, he put up uh, Dejagah a bit further forward with Uchan Najad to to ha- to trouble the uh, Bosnian back for a little bit more but um, as you know Babak just pointed out he might have uh, just switched them rather than uh, playing them both together. Is there any other player on that uh, bench that would you guys like to have seen more of in this tournament? <sighs> It's a bit. Difficult question. Looking at the squad, because uh, I'm talking maybe. about Baytosher. Like, what, would you guys thought he would have been at least if he'd have just came on for like a couple of minutes, like last five minutes, and like so a couple of games yeah. to see how he does? Five minutes. What are you gonna learn in five minutes? I mean, yeah. look. The point is, Baytosher would have come on either on the uh, probably on the right back position, and that's yeah, one yeah. of the positions where we actually excelled in the tournament. Montezari was fantastic. He was. He was excellent in defense, and he actually was our main threat when it came again to the game against Argentina with his crossing. So, could you look back and say what if Baytosher played? I'm not sure because defensively, I don't know if he had the presence against the likes of uh, uh, Argentina, Nigeria. Maybe he would have, but. Uh, Montezari was fantastic in the World Cup, and on the left side, Puladi, I thought he was one of our two best players in the whole tournament. So difficult to see where Betashur would have come on and added something to the team. Uh, but uh, rest of the bench, I would have liked to see more of Ansari Fard later in the games, yeah. going a little bit more direct. I don't think we can cut th- through teams, or maybe we could have gone direct and seen him put a physical presence up there and see what would happen. Jahan uh, Bach as well, I would have liked to see him a little bit more in the games as well. So, other than that, I don't see. It. I don't think we had many players who could have made a difference. Sina, yeah, I think the only way we could see Betashur playing. First of all, I don't think he would have ever made a substitute appearance anyway. Yeah. I think if he was going to change to you know for a game changing um, substitution, he wouldn't have looked at the right back position. But I think the only way he would have played as a as a winger started if he started Jahan Bash on the right. So I think that may have forced him to play an actual right back on the right inside to, you know, just because I don't even though Montezuri has been great, I don't think he can. You know, you can solely rely on him on, as you know, as a right back without any protection. So I think yeah. he, he might have he might have played Betoshur at right back if he was forced to start with Jahanbash, but he wasn't. He always looked at Jahanbash as a, as a plan B. And uh, in in terms of players that we would have liked to see, well, I don't think there are many players on the bench that you know could have come on and changed the game anyway. I mean, there was only Jahanbash and Ansar. Ansar for yeah. And the other players, the other midfielders that we had, one of them was Bakhtiar Rahmani, and the other being Reza Hayiri. Reza Hayiri, I couldn't see him playing, you know, starting the game anyway because he plays in the roles of Nekunam and Andranik, so I couldn't see him starting. Bakhtiar Rahmani, again, I'm not because he's only been playing well for a season or two, so I don't think he had the necessary no. experience to to come and really add anything to the team in terms of getting results. Well, what do you guys think about Nekunov's performances? Oh, blood! That's not giving me heat. I mean, I, I'm pretty. He's not a captain. I appreciate him, but I feel like he didn't get criticized as much because of how well Tamorian played. He was. I was expecting more from Nekunov, and honestly, you know, that's that's my opinion. I mean, why were you expecting more? I mean, when was the last time you have seen Nekunov 
dominates a game and really leads Iran. Uh, That's my, I don't remember. I, the last I'm time I think, Nekunov, yeah. I'm a fan of Nekunov, but yeah, yeah. Same. I actually feel that he's never been as good as people think he has been or think he is for the national team. Even Shoja, you could say the same yeah, thing with Shoja. He's been a great servant, but yeah. I think even in the last year or two when he was playing for SLR, you could see that he doesn't have the same effect. And he's been playing with Andranik when he was at SLR as well. And even in that team, Andranik was doing all the work for him. Exactly. You could see in every game, there was one or two moments when Nekunam either lost the ball or he couldn't track back. And, you he, know, he he's too lazy on away. the ball. Yeah. He, he's very lazy on the ball. Uh, that's, it's, I've seen the least that he did was assist a goal. A couple of players as well. Uh, Steven Enzonzi, I don't know if you watch Premier League football. Yeah. Steven Enzonzi, who's at Stoke now, he was at Blackburn, so I've watched him a lot. He's very lazy on the ball. He's a tall, gangly guy, like Nekunam. He thinks he's too he, better than he is on the ball, so he's dallies on the ball. He doesn't feel the danger coming onto him. And Nekunam is the same thing. He's very relaxed on the ball, and uh, he doesn't usually, you don't have that sort of time on the pitch. At this level, you know, you can't dally on the ball so much. You need to pass it, pass it, get it, pass it. Look at Zabi. Even right now, at the age of 34, he gets the ball. You don't see him dally on the ball more than a millisecond. It's through to the next player. You keep it moving. You keep the tempo going. Nekunam's a little bit too slow. And I think Ando has actually covered him very well. He's, yeah. He did the running for two people. And he's been doing it for many years. And for me, uh, I mean, I don't want to jump ahead of it. But Andranik Temurian was our best player of the tournament for the second World Cup running. Definitely. Yeah, I, with Nekunam, it's not that he doesn't have the ability. I think he's got a great passing ability. But as uh, Babak said, he, he takes too much time on the ball. And when you're playing in centre midfield, it's, it's, more, it's not that you, you know, to have the ability. Of course, you need the ability, but it comes down to your timing as well. Whether it's timing of your challenge or the passing of your movement, your positioning. And uh, I think in the last few years, obviously, it's with his age as well. When you get to that age, you start to, you know... You don't have the same pace and the same, uh, you know, ability as you used five or six years ago. So I mean, it was kind of expected by Nekunam. And but I mean, again, he, he his service to the national team. I mean, he's been a great captain yeah, for course. many years. Yeah. 140 odd caps. <coughs> his goals, his goals against South Korea, you know, in the in the qualification, he, his goals were one of the reasons why we are here, along with Wuchan yeah. as well. So of course, we you know we have that respect for him. As we should, of course, for our captain. But again, his performances didn't necessarily, uh, you know, glorify his position. Basically, you know, he yeah. could have done much better, in my opinion. But he, but yeah, like you say, but he's always escaped that sort of uh, microscope on him, largely because of his position as captain, or the fact that he's been a great servant, and the fact that Taimurian gets the central midfield quite uh, settled, let's say. So he, he, you don't see too much eyes on Nekunov while, while you see it on a lot of other players in different positions. I'm not yes, criticizing him overtly because, as you said, he's been a great servant. You have to look at his age as well. You have to look at the alternatives, which there are none, basically. So uh, considering everything, but I mean, I didn't expect... I mean, I've had this viewpoint about Nekunov for the last few years. Uh, he's always been a little bit, you know, takes too much time on the ball, too laid back on the ball, etc. But I was a little bit disappointed to see it again at the World Cup. Well, it could be the same thing about Shojai, you know. But when is the last time that he actually actually performed so well for Iran in the qualifiers? I think it's, it's Argentina. Shujai, yeah, he performed against Argentina. But putting that aside, I think yeah. Shojai is a. It's, it's more of a tragedy, in my opinion. I think his his uh, his injuries really forced him to a different player that he used to be. I mean, 
he doesn't of course he doesn't have the, I still think he doesn't necessarily have the same effect as once he used to have and I'd put it all down to injuries. I mean, he, he's had some really long-term injuries, and of course, that that's not necessarily going to help your development at all, even at his age, which is nearly 30, I think. So, yeah, I mean, it is disappointing to see him like this. I mean, of course, he played well against... He Argentina. did. I'm just saying for the qualifiers. I just don't remember the last time he actually, you know, had, like, a decent, decent in the qualifiers. That's the last time that Smash Joy had a great game, besides the Argentina game is my is what I'm trying to say. You yeah, know, he... Know that's my point. I don't. I don't think he has the same effect as once he used to have, and I put it down to injuries. Baba. Yeah, I completely agree. Injuries. Uh, he's always had uh, decision-making issues when it came to uh, the final, the selection of the final ball, or whether to shoot or pass. I actually felt when he broke through, I watched him in that, uh, I don't know if it was the West Asian Games, uh, back in the day, about almost 10 years ago, he was uh, maybe 8 years ago, he was about 23 years old, he broke through in that team, I think Iran won that tournament, and I thought at the time that this guy is going to be better than Ali Karimi. Uh, he had better close dribbling than Ali Karimi had, and that's saying a lot, that's at least my opinion. Yeah. Uh, I felt he was at an age where he could move to Europe early, which he did as well. But injuries have curtailed his career, and maybe sometimes that final selection of what to do with the ball, he's always had that question mark over him. But I thought against Argentina, he was quality, and uh, no, we don't have anyone close to his level of in terms of dribbling, close control, etc. Tejaga has probably got the most technique, but this guy, I mean, when it comes to dribbling and when it comes to buying time by Definitely. getting past players, it doesn't matter who. He did it against Argentinian defenders, Nigeria. Uh, Nigeria, we didn't see much, but against uh, Bosnia as well. He, he's, got a, he's got something different, which no one else in this team has. I think that's one of the main one of the main things that we've been lacking for many years since Ali Karimi, you know, kind of uh, got over his... Uh, you know, peak days basically, but um, you know, I think that's one of the one of the main reasons why he did go and why he did play because we don't have a alternative. We don't have anyone else. No, in that we're not, team, we don't. I just said not just not just in the team, but I mean, I watch the Iranian league as well. I mean, there there are one or two players who can fill that role, but obviously they don't have the experience. Neither do they have uh, you know the the European uh, sense of playing as uh, you know we've been talking about for the past two past two three weeks. You know that discipline and the mentality of uh, going and playing in big games. So I think that's one of the reasons why he did play. But again, I, I, I always feel like it's a tragedy to see him like this because he yeah. has so much potential and injuries really um, prevented him from uh, realizing his potential. He was a vital, vital player for Osasuna. And right now for Las Palmas, he's still, I've seen him score a couple of screamers. But it's just like it's just disappointing to see him, you know, not perform as up to that level as he should for this national country, even with all these injuries. I think Master Chodri has still has a lot in store. Or used to have a lot of store in for us, but because of the injuries and and the other thing I want to point out is he he loses his temper really easily. And against the game against South Korea in the qualifiers, he got an easy red card out of something really stupid slide tackle. So there's a lot of against, yeah against Saudi Arabia as well in uh, in twenty ten qualification yeah. when, when we lost when he got yeah off. yeah. So that's the thing that always bugged me with Masters. He loses his temper really easily. And he was always losing his temper in the games. And I think he, if he changed that a lot too, I mean, that's one of the things that hindered him back was in the qualifiers. He just, he just lost his temper. As soon as he, like, if he got frustrated, he would, like, get himself a red card. And that's not going to help you out anywhere. But besides the point, so what do you guys think now? That, that group F is over with. And obviously we didn't make it, but we got one point out of the African champions. 
disappointing, um, successful. What do you guys think? What do you guys think for the Monkhead, for the future, for the present? What do you guys think? Sina? Um, well, remember when we did our first podcast and I said the ideal, uh, the ideal scenario for me would be to head into that Bosnia game, yeah. knowing that a result would put us in a great position to qualify. And we did that. Of course, the result, I mean, the performance against Bosnia wasn't great at all. It was, it was really disappointing. But all in all, I think we need to, to realise that this team isn't the best team we've ever had at the World Cup based on individual players. Yeah. So I think considering that, it wasn't too bad of a result. I mean, there was, as, I, as I've been saying, I mean, the positives completely outweighed the negatives. We had our first clean sheet in the World Cup. For the first time, we got a point. We got a result in our first game, which was against Nigeria. So yeah, there is a lot. There is a lot to take. But um, result-wise, if you're just going to look at the result, it might not have been the best World Cup we've ever had, and it's not. But I think considering our resources and what we had, we had, we had our disposal. I think we did make the most out of what we could. Again, the the performance against Bosnia should have been better, could have been better. But I think putting aside that game. Um, against, I mean, putting aside that game against Bosnia, we did really well in the first two games. Yeah. I actually think that this team will go down in history in about 20 25 years. People will talk about it something like the 1978 team in the sense that they actually were so close to getting a result against Argentina they they held the African champions to a draw they were uh, with a couple of posts going on the different directions we could have easily had four points in this group um, the, in terms of the legacy that this team leaves I think it's largely going to be down to who is the next manager of the national team today I read an article that the sports minister has promised to negotiate terms with Kray Roche, give him what he wants and make sure he stays for the Asian Cup. I actually think that what happens next will define how we look back at this World Cup. If Kray Roche remains or the right selection is made for the Asian Cup and we do perform and finally make it through to an Asian Cup maybe final, it's been so long. I mean, we dominated Asian football in the 70s, but we're so far back now. If we actually do something there, then the legacy of this World Cup team will be much more positive than right now. If, let's say, the likes of Hussein Faraki comes on and becomes coach and everything, all the hard work goes oh, to the God, don't tell me and that. we get knocked out in the Asian Cup, because I actually think our Asian Cup group is not that easy. We get knocked out early, then... All this work K. Rush has put yeah. in. Uh, the foundation he left upon it will be, yeah. Yeah. Listen, I think um, the uh, you know the fact that we need K. Rush to stay is not just what goes on on the pitch for this particular team. I think we need K. Rush for the future. This team will go through a transition. I mean, we, our team, our starting starting lineup against Argentina. Most of them were over 30 or in and around 30. So this team will have to go through transition. And I don't want to see anyone but K-Rush putting Iran through that transition. And one of the key points that you know you just uh, about just touched on as well, our football still lives in the glory days of the 70s, the days that we won the Asian Cup and yeah. you know, international footballing days. We, we have not performed, we have not produced teams like that anymore. We have been producing players, but we haven't been producing teams, and that's why I want to see Kairos in there. I want to see, I want to see him put in a decent system in the Iranian football, in the domestic leagues, to not just produce players, but produce teams, produce styles of football. I mean, do we actually have a footballing identity? Is there an identity that we play in? I, I don't think we do. 
And I think that needs to be sorted if we are going to go far in this. Well, I mean, we, I mean, you got to think about the politics. You got to think about you know most of our clubs are owned by governments. You know, there's there's a lot of there's like a lot of problems within Iran itself that Kadosh cannot even with like even the even when we're going to South Africa. You know, he even said it, you know, there's a lot of problems within Iran that I can sort it out. And this, I just have minimum resource. That's all I could give to this, to this, to this team, you know? Of course, in the short term, yes. But yeah. Listen, we got we to gotta think long term. I mean, it's a, it's a thing with Iranians in general. We always look to the uh, short term solution rather than yeah. trying to find out a, a, a solution for the long term uh, issues. This team, the Iran national team, for many years, we've been looking for the short term solution. What can we do to get to the next next World Cup? After the next World Cup is good, is done, Dennis, what can we do to the to get to the next World Cup again? Yeah. What about the the plans for the next twenty years? What about you see? That's what he pointed about, about that. You know, know, yeah, we don't think like that. We don't plan like that either. And I think that's an issue. And it goes and it runs to the top of the Iranian football pyramid, right to the bottom, right to the to the to the clubs in the second division or the third division there is no stability <laughs> in Iranian football whatsoever and that yeah. if we are to keep Kairosh I don't see how keeping Kairosh for the six months would benefit us in the long Kairosh for the long term I want to see him you know a, a bit more a bit longer not just for the Asian Cup I want to see him for the next World Cup as well yeah Baba do you want to add anything to that? I, I agree with Sina. It's yeah. a bit of an idealistic point of view yeah. because uh, in reality with Iran and knowing yeah. how our football is run, it's a very, 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 very unlikely. Hard, yeah. It's more likely that we're going to win the next World Cup, I would say, than we have a grassroots revolution in the Iranian football. But uh, of course, I would rather build a team for the future. If you, they told me right now, you know what, we're going to bring in some youngsters, some of the better youngsters, and then start blooding them into the team and our goal is 2022 we're going to write off 2018 2018 is going to be a bonus just qualifying there but we're going to have a team that in 2022 will be between the ages of 26 and 28 by average so they're going to be reaching their peak we'll give them experience during the qualification process in 2018 we'll start playing friendly games etc we'll we'll start putting in these players from now maybe introducing two or three of them in the asian cup there's a few of them that are that played in the last uh, Youth Champ, the World Cup in uh, the UAE last year. One or two of them are probably able to be introduced gradually right now. I don't see why not. So uh, if you told me that, then I would say, yes, great. But who's going to be doing this planning? That's the thing. Uh, we don't have anyone at the helm over there, and it's very unlikely. So That's exactly uh, my point. Even Kafoshian is not even a football man. He doesn't know any bloody thing. He just talks. That's all he does. Is that Kafoshian? Yeah. No, but that's that's another thing. I don't think he's actually the decision maker. I think the sports ministry is a decision maker when it comes to contracts and uh, these kind of issues. I think I don't think Kafashi, even though he does he does do the talking, I don't think he's a he puppet. That's what he man. is. No, no, not a puppet. But I don't think he is the main. I think the main decisions will be made by the sport minister, and uh, yeah, I, I don't think. He's the decision. He's the sole decision maker. I think the sport minister yeah. is the one who makes the big decisions in there. Yeah. But one point I want to talk about, I don't know if you guys remember this or not, because they, they spoke to this about Kairos, about why, you know, about Iranian football. And so one thing he said, he said countries like Japan and Sakhar, the way they're playing right now, it's because they had a plan 10 years ago. You know, they have academies, you know. I mean, in Iran, I mean, the only football academies, honestly, I I could think of is probably Paris, Paris, Vanessa. We don't have, like, actually football academies for each single... No, 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 no,
No, I know, but like, it's only the big clubs. That's what I'm talking about. It's only the big names. Listen, honestly, there was a there was a report, and I was watching it, and I was involved with. I mean, I, I, you know, I grew up in Iran. I was, you know, part of the coaching thing. Yeah. Iran, in terms of producing players, the big clubs don't produce players, and by the big clubs, I mean SLR and Persons. They don't bring players through their own ranks. Clubs like Fulad, I think Fulad is the is the role model in my opinion, as well as Sepahan in terms of producing players. But one thing, another thing that I want to point out is we do produce talent. We produce great talent in terms of Asian football. And but the main issue for us is how to develop those players after eighteen. Yeah. And our teams go to Asian cups and you know the world championships for under eighteens and under seventeens, and they perform. I'm not, of course, they're not going to win it. But they perform in they perform really well in terms of uh, you know just in the standards of Asian football, but that is where the issue begins from eighteen onwards, because of the lack of stability at the clubs, they barely bring any young players through, because I mean it's another different issue. I'm not going to go into. I actually into, think but... it's professional football that's done the harm to the country because yeah. average players start getting higher salaries. They move to Tehran to the big two. They stick it out over there. They become big headed. Look at Saudi right now. He's been spouting a lot of rubbish over social media, etc., over how good he is, how he should have been in the Iran World Cup team. He'll prove himself. He's got offers from European teams. Who's going to make offers for him, really? Saudi I should say, not Saudi uh, actually the, the point is that I think that players should be moving abroad. And Ali Raza Jahanbash is the prototype for the next generation of Iranian footballer. People should move abroad when they're 18 or 19, even if it is to a lesser league. Because the development and the... We should have tie-ins with Dutch clubs, with uh, Portuguese clubs, with second division Spanish clubs, with our clubs in, in, in Iran, and send our players across to them and at, at preferential prices, etc. Let them move abroad, let them experience yeah. new football, let them understand what football is, because the tactical side of it, the mental side of it, is where players fail, rather than technique. Sina? Yeah, I think there has been a lot of investment in Iranian football, but as Babak said, it's not it's not in the field that we want to see it in. It's just get it's just giving money to players that are not worth the money at all. Yeah, I want to see that money is spended into into you know academies and coaching and you know just sorting the system. But unfortunately, it's it's all going through wages, wages which players do not deserve at all. I mean, if you watch Iranian football, it's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean the. the how much does Payam Sadarian make? He makes something ridiculous too. Pardon? Payam I think he makes something ridiculous. I remember he was reading something he was making enormous for a talent. The winger, Paris Police's winger. Yeah, I know. I'm not going to go into his attitude and yeah, personality, yeah. but I think on the field he's a good player. I've watched him for Paris Police yeah. and for Zabahan the season before as well. He's a good player. But I think in terms of attitude and personality, we talked about it in the last, uh, last podcast about Rahmati and, and that lack of professional attitude and he just runs through Iranian football through the players that sense of well I'm just gonna get this amount of money and stay in Iran and the money makes him greedy you know and it's and that's and it's a problem it's a big problem in Iranian yeah, football yeah of course it is but 
I think it comes to you know we uh, we need to educate our players on what is the priority. But it's about the Iranian mentality too. You know, there's a lot of players on that team. Like I mean, Payam Asadagan, you probably thought he was like the best winger in the Iranian league. You know, it's just they, they just there's a lot of mentality issues in Iranian football and in Iranian sense in general and Iranian culture. Let's talk about. There's just everything is bigger than what it seems. And that I mean, Rahmati showed it. I mean, the next coach. I mean, today Kafushin was talking about if we can't get a deal with Kairosh, our next coach is probably going to be an Iranian. And I bet you, I'm not even trying to be idealistic. I think you might see Rahmati getting invited back to the team, you know. I think we we thought Rahmati has actually apologized and you know just uh, he's realized what he's done. Yeah. In the last two weeks, he left SLL because SLL failed to reach an agreement with the clubs. I think he was a goalkeeping coach. Yeah. But Rahmati said, "If you don't keep him, I'm leaving." I mean, what kind of attitude is that? Yeah. He's left. He's left and joined Paycon right now, and you know you think these players would learn. Would learn their lessons, but unfortunately, that doesn't seem to be the case. But there's that's because it's just I don't know. It's just like the Iranian league itself. There's like a lot of I mean, it's it's, it's there's too many issues to talk about. Even make these players look greedy. You know, I remember I was uh, when I'm back and when I used to live in Iran. I went to Boston Club and my coach was Saram Azadli. I don't know if you guys know him or not, the former Iranian coach. And I remember like how. You know, all these big top players will bring their sons in and they always would start them because they're just because, because they were bigger names because their father was like, you know, in the Iranian league and stuff. And it's just, it's just an Iranian mentality, you know? Babak? Yeah, I mean, it's a shame that it's like that. And that the problem comes from the grassroots with the older generation and the way they look at football. And it's still uh, thinking we're too good, better than what we are. Uh, uh, neglecting or ignoring the progress that Asian football has made. We're still living in the past. I mean, yeah. let's wake up. Uh, Japan is two decades ahead of us. Korea is probably a decade ahead of us. Uzbekistan is so quickly or overtaking us. And by the next uh, qualification campaign, we're not going to be as lucky as we were last time. Saudis, the fact that Saudi's been out of the picture because they've gone through a very dry spell in terms of talent has been a blessing. Otherwise, we've always had trouble with the Saudis. We have problems with all the Khalij teams. Qatar now is a challenger for us. I mean, they're not beating us, but it's becoming very difficult to beat them. UAE has their golden generation right now, and I think we're going to be surprised in the Asian Cup. Bahrain has always caused us problems. Then you go to the other side. You Kuwait. see China as a yeah, sleeping Kuwait. giant. Yeah. Then you have Australia, obviously. They're going to have new players coming through. I don't think Asian football is that bad, and I think that unless we make <coughs> we actually initiate some plan and long-term planning, we're going to have problems with the teams that are going to be coming up. The gap in between, even Maldives now, they don't lose anymore. They're losing 1-0, drawing, winning games against teams they shouldn't be winning. They're, they're, they're half-decent, second-rate Asian team now. So, Asian football is catching up, and I don't see the progress from our in our football at all. I, I really worry about the future. And I this is... This is a transitional period, as Sina said, because an old team, the next set of players that are coming in, it's difficult to pick out big names, who's going to come in and who's going to be the next Nekunam, who's going to be the next Taimurian, who's going to be the next uh, Shojai, who's going to be the next striker. See, that is our biggest problem. Defender. That is our biggest problem because, you know, Ali Kami right now, you know, we don't, I mean, Ali Kami is in his, like, early 30s now and we don't have a replacement for him. I mean, who's going to be the next Nekunam? I mean, the biggest major tournament that Nekunam and uh, Andronik, you'll see them together is going to be this this next year who's going to replace them and i think it's it's just those kind of factors that bothers you know us in general is that we don't have a replacement for these guys you know i think i think iranian uh, football in general is blinded yeah. by the fact that we do produce the odd jahanbakhsh every now and then yeah. but you know we need we need to get the facts right i mean the likes of jahanbakhsh are not the product of a of a well-drilled system to produce players 
it's just the odd one out, you know, that gets through. I mean, we do have talent, but not not many of them actually break through and play as well as Jahanbaksh does. Uh, and I think that is a disappointment. And we will go through a period when we, we will realize that our football hasn't hasn't advanced as well as the other Asian nations. And and that period, once we reach that period, it will it will be a huge. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know what what I should call it, but it you know it's it's the moment that Iranian football we finally realize that uh, you know as I said they haven't developed in the past ten to fifteen years. Yeah, back. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Uh, we're going to have some problems. I mean, I already think that our the 1996 to 2002 team, that generation was a good generation of players. That generation pushed itself to 2006, but it was a bit too old at the time. And since then, we're kind of uh, recycling some players. We're still keeping some of those players. Look at Ali Karimi. He's 36. For me, Ali Karimi retired at the age, at the 2006 World Cup. That was it for Ali Karimi. And yeah. he's, he's made a living for the last eight years. And every every few months, you hear people think, oh, call him back. He's our best. He's this and that. For me, he retired at that point in 2006 from yeah. really that high-level football. Uh, he, when he refused to come on to the pitch against Angola, his shambles, his attitude over there, his general performance and demeanor. He completely let himself go, and he's never been the same player, obviously. And he's, for the last eight mm. years, there's still people nostalgic and saying, oh, call up Ali Karimi to the World Cup team. Why? What's Ali Karimi going to add? Do you really yeah. I mean, he's not as a fit in Cater's just tactics, too. could not uh, survive in terms of fitness at yeah. that time in 2006. Eight years later, at the age of 36 or 30, or something like that, he's going to be able to play in the heat of Brazil. What kind of ridiculous, uh, uh, <laughs> ridiculous uh, viewpoint is that to call him up to the World Cup team? What's he going to do? What's he going to offer? Let's look at the future. Let's stop dreaming about the past yeah. the players we've had before. Let's bring in the youngsters. I'd rather have the likes of Sardar Azmoun at the age of 19, even if he was not going to play, the whole experience of being in that tournament atmosphere. And I still feel it's a shame that he wasn't part That's of what Wilmot did with uh, Yanuzai. That's what Wilma said with Yanuzai. Exactly. Yanuzai exactly. was playing... I mean, I uh, yeah, go ahead. Sorry about that. Brazil had Ronaldo when he was 17 in yeah. the 1994 World Cup, if I'm not mistaken. He didn't get a single minute. But they had him because they wanted him to understand what kind of atmosphere, what kind of pressure comes with the World Cup. Because they knew that team is going to be built around Ronaldo yeah. four years later, and then eight years later, and even maybe 12 <coughs> years later. So having those sort of players sometimes in a 23-man squad, you're not going to use 23 men. Having one or two youngsters just for experience is not the bad thing. Instead of getting those spots, exactly. three right-backs or four right-backs or a 36-year-old yeah. journeyman. That's what England think, did too. That's what Hawkson did. Yeah, look, shot, Ross Yeah, go you see know. I think the whole Ali Karimi thing is just the shambles anyway. I mean, every anyone who came up to me before the World Cup squad was, was announced and said, you know, I don't mind Karimi being in there. I just had a right go at him. It's a ridiculous uh, statement to make, which Babak completely, yeah. you know, uh, explained anyway. But another thing that I wanted to point out, point out is because we're in the past, team, mate. Everybody this, this, wants us to go to the past. That's the problem with Iranian in general. In Iranians too. No, but I, that's. I just wanted to make point. I mean, point another thing out as well. This current team. Um, how many players of them are not actually born in Iran? Oh, yeah. and Dejaga, yeah. probably two main players, are not born in Iran. And Daveri, too. No, I, 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 actually want, think, I, I actually think they're both born in Tehran. I actually well, well, think... You get, well, you, yeah, actually, yeah, no, no, you're right. But my point is, I want players who are produced in Iran to perform for Iran. I don't want us to turn into another Algeria. 
You know, I don't, I don't like Algeria. Tell me, how many of the uh, main players are born in France, and as in they're, they're raised in France with yeah. that sense but, but to of, be uh, fair, you know, to be fair, you know, a, a lot of those Algerian players they always identify with being Algerian, even when they're yeah, in yeah. France. I mean, they they don't really identify with being Fran- French. You know, it's not the same as let's say the Qatar national team. By yeah. Country, I mean. <laughs> I, I, it doesn't bother me as much having uh, players born abroad or lived abroad. I'm an Iranian who grew up abroad as well, and I know how I feel about my country and my football yeah. team. So I, that doesn't bother me as long as they care about the national team. And considering the fact that they come with a different footballing mentality, end of the day, if you remove all the players we brought from, I mean, the likes of Gucci and Dejaga, you remove them from this team, they wouldn't even have made the World Cup, that's for sure. Dejaga is our best player, and Gucci is the first half-decent striker we've had since Ali died. So if we can unearth a few of these guys abroad, I don't see the, I don't see the problem. I mean, I, the short I, term, think, I, I, short term, I have a question for you guys. Thing, I have a, this thing, is a that's, great that's point. The thing that I'm trying to point out. One, one minute. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. No worries. In the, short term, in the short term, it's a great solution. But in the long term, it, it will not yeah. benefit our football whatsoever. There are a lot of players coming through the ranks in Iranian football. I mean, young players. How would they feel, you know, seeing uh, you know players who've played abroad all day all their life and you know were brought up in uh, European countries to come and Maybe play for Iran? Maybe they'll abroad when they're eighteen or nineteen. Maybe they'll look at Jahan Bach and the likes of Dejaga and the others and say, you know what, playing abroad means I get preferential treatment or I get selected if they want to look at it. <coughs> which actually the likes of Beta Shur and Davari showed that you know what it's not about just playing abroad it's about how you show yourself so playing abroad does maybe give you a, a helping hand but at the end of the day it doesn't guarantee you're going to play for the national team so Davari and Beta Shur neither of them started he had Borussi yeah. before he, he, was, should, he was an average player he never made it to the World Cup squad either but maybe it gives a kick up the backside to some of these Iranians living in Iran and it pushes them to you know what let me move abroad like Jahan Bakhsh let me get a chance let me move abroad like Asmun look at how much he's improve maybe i'm even better than that guy so maybe that'll inspire a lot of these younger players to move to european football at a younger age not in your mid-20s or late 20s because now football is different people don't take a chance on you when you're in your mid-20s and you come from asia or africa you have to be a teenager or a maximum 20 or 21 years old and sorry fat right now he's on the border he's on the edge right now if he doesn't move now he may never move to european football so these kind of players need to move when they're 18, 19, 20, etc. You can bet that the fact that there are scouts visiting Iran and they're looking at Iranian football, and there is a chance that these guys have had offers in the past, but they've rejected them because they're getting probably more money staying in Paris for or Estaglal. Yeah. yeah, that's that's my point about Darvari and Beitashu. I think it should be a lesson, but not a solution. It shouldn't be a solution in, t- in terms of uh, you know just getting results for the national team. Listen, young players, let's say if there is a player in the next season or two in Iran and he plays really well, I want to see him given a chance in the national team. I want to see him perform because sometimes the scouts pick up players who play, you know, international, uh, you know, at international level and uh, they perform well. So I want to see him given a chance. But as you said, as you said, yes, they sh- you know, that should be a lesson. That should be, you know, a lesson that they should understand. They should, you know, move to Europe and uh, develop themselves in there. But it shouldn't be a solution in terms of the national team. I don't think we should just go out there and, and pick up players who are born in Iran and, and raised in re- uh, European football just because, the, you know, their no, development think, was in Europe. I, I, no, I don't think that we should just pick players because they're playing Europe. And yeah, you yeah. can see the footballing mentality is completely different. Is there any Iranian player anywhere close to Dejaga's level in terms of... Uh, 
ability, let's say, or Gucci when it comes to strike as a striker. Yes, he may not be the world's best striker, but his understanding of the game, the way he gets players in, his movement, he's constantly moving around, even leading the line as of he's what five foot ten maybe or five foot nine. He's leading the line against bigger and better defenders, and he's he's isolated. He, he gets frustrated, but he still keeps on going and going and going. That's what European football teaches you from a young age when you're 10, 11, or 12 years old. It teaches you the mentality of how to play football. I it's not keep just this... the fact that I can keep the ball up 300 times. I have a lot of technique, like Iman Mobali, one of the people that people Iranians think that he was he was like a godsend or something. Yeah. I think he had amazing technique, but he never had the he never had the execution in terms of getting the output from that technique. I've seen Ali Dai for me is the perfect example and Ali Karimi on the other side. Ali Dai did not have any technique or natural ability other than his his determination, hard work and finishing. Ali Karimi had technique in abundance, dribbling skill, ability, etc. One of them reached playing for Bayern Munich. The other one played Bayern Munich as well, but one of them purely through perseverance. If Ali Karimi had Ali Doi's heart, I guarantee you he would have been the greatest Asian player of all time and one of the best players in at that time in the world, maybe top 10, for sure. Because people like Mahtabikia, Harshamiya and Ali Doi, they may not have technique or natural ability, but they have determination, hard work, perseverance, motivation, and then you have players like Al Karimi or a lot of others who don't have that heart to go with their talent. And that's the problem here. I want to keep this to this topic. I have a question for you guys. Now that, you know, obviously, you know, what Kairos has done for us, you know, he's brought us this European place. He gave us a foundation that, you know, it's going to be a transition period. And I hope our next manager is probably going to be an Iranian. Um, Do you guys think he's going to stay with that? Or do you think he's just going to go with our local and he might not even scout or recruit other Iranians abroad or in Europe and stuff? Like, what do you guys think? Like, what do you guys want us to happen? Or what do you guys think is going to happen? Because I feel like, you know, if we get, like, a Nejad Paris or some coach that feels like, no, it just, we just have to stick with our own local players. And instead of putting, you know, Dejaga and Gucci starting, we just put them on the bench. What do you guys think it's going to, the future is going to hold for Iran? Especially in this one year that we have to prep for the Asian Cup. Babak? I think that the likes of Dejaga and Gucci, you can't ignore them. If, if someone yeah. puts them aside, it means he's an idiot. And for yeah. me, he directly cross himself off as any decent coach. But people like Beta Shur, Daveri, they may not get called up. You know, they'll say, oh, you know what, he's not even good enough. Even K. Rush didn't select him. Or we have this guy or that guy. I can understand that. And it's probably going to be the, the, the negative side of uh, having an Iranian coach that some of these, let's say, foreign call-ups may be ignored. But yeah. you can't ignore your best striker and your best player just because you're Iranian and they're playing abroad mm-hmm. or something. So I, I would be surprised that even if the most hardcore Iranian coach comes in, he ignores those guys. We had the same situation with Zandi. Zandi was selected even by Iranian coaches yeah. at the time. Maybe not as much as with Branko, but he was still selected because he had some talent on the Yeah. And then he went back to Iran and he was playing in Iran in the Iranian leagues, which that was a big thing too. Sina? They can't beat me. They, are, they have been possibly two of our best players in the World Cup, apart from uh, Andranik and Puladi. So it'd be very, very silly to, uh, to ignore them. But the likes of Beitashu, Davari, personally, I don't think I don't, if they're not, if they wouldn't get into the starting eleven, I don't think they should be in the team. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, again, that's my personal opinion. But I, as I said, uh, I think in terms of right back, for example, in Bay. Uh, with Beitashur, I think 
I'm not saying Mahini is a great player, but I think if you're going to put him on the bench, I'd rather Mahini be on the bench than, than Beitoshu. Or even Davari. If Davari is going to sit on the bench, then why not just put an Iranian, Iranian goalkeeper on the bench you know, as a yeah. fair choice goalkeeper? But then again, you know, that's my personal opinion. If they are, if those European-based players, if they're European-raised players, if they would get into the first eleven, then fair enough, you know, call them up. If they yeah. wouldn't get into the first eleven, then personally, I don't want to see them in the squad. I'd rather see Iranian, uh, you know, Iranian-raised yeah. players who have been playing in, playing in Iran uh, get into the squad. Yeah. So let's now talk about the Asian Cup games we're gonna have in a year. Um, obviously, it's a, it's the new coach we're gonna have. He has to prep the team for a year, and most likely, it's kind of probably gonna be a local Iranian coach. What do you guys think it's gonna happen? Honestly, just just give me your thoughts, Cena. Um, I think um, it's going if they don't reach an agreement with Kairos, yeah, which uh, we kind of spoke of last week as well. I think it's gonna be uh, Hossein Faraki coming in. Okay, yeah, and I don't think he will perform that well in the Asian Cup. So it's a chain of reactions. Once Faraki doesn't perform well within running the um, in the Asian Cup, the media will force the um, the Iranian faith to get rid of him and bring in a foreign coach again. Which uh, you know, I think that's that is the I think that's what's going to happen anyway. Yeah. I don't think they'll reach an agreement uh, with Kairos. Yeah. I mean, if they do, then uh, fantastic. Yeah. And uh, I don't think he would stay further after the. Um, after the Asian Cup, but uh, I think if they bring in Faraki, he wouldn't perform as well with uh, with the national team, and uh, people are going to force the FA to get rid of him and uh, bring in a foreign coach. I think that's the that, that's probably uh, the scenario that we'll will see if Faraki yeah. comes in. Nice. Babak, have you heard any rumors of who's going to be our next coach? Because it seems like everybody's talking about Hossein Faraki. Sina has been pushing that rumor across yeah. everywhere, I think. I've read a couple of times, too, honestly. He kind of confirmed it for me once he left Fulad for yeah. absolutely no reason whatsoever. And he just pushed the uh, the, the rumors that Kairos will leave after the World Cup and Faraki is the ideal man to come in because he worked he worked at the national team set up with Branko for many years. And, of course, as well, I think he was involved for a while as well. Do so, you, uh, you guys remember Saudi Arabia? Do you remember they had an assistant coach who was with every foreign coach, yeah. Nasser Al Joha? Uh, yeah, I think that yeah, you're talking about you're talking about 2010. He would write down his notes for like almost a decade, and eventually he became the manager at the World Cup, and they got destroyed against Germany. I think eight yeah. nil, if I'm not mistaken. So I don't know if what Faraki's role was in the team. I don't want to. I don't want to judge him in terms of what I don't know. I don't know what role he had under Branco, yeah. whether he contributed or uh, he had some active role. But I really don't think he's the right man to lead the national team. Yeah. So who, yeah, Balak, I'm just kind of making this idea. Who do you want? Either, yeah, he's the man that the uh, the Iranian fellow will will go with solely because he was involved in the uh, national team setup for many years, and he did. Let's, I mean, uh, let's be realistic. He did really well with Fula. I watched Fula this season. They played really good football. But Look, no, bottom line, best Iranian manager is Amir Kalinoi. No, hands down, yeah. he's a planet away from every other Iranian when it comes to management but even him when he became national it's a whole different ball game the pressure the, the the mistakes that you make the choices at this international level it's a different ball game and even him I have my doubts but if we're going to have an Iranian manager then honestly for me Amir Kalinoi has proven himself every club he's been at and he's had results no matter what the resources were even if it wasn't the biggest club he got results with them yeah. so I would feel more confident having Amir Kalinoi than 
any other Iranian if I'm gonna have to go with Iranian. Okay, okay. So yeah, any um, what else? Any other topic you guys want to guys bring out that we haven't discussed for this podcast? I think we've pretty much covered the World Cup. Uh, maybe we have to talk about the best player for me. It was Anthony yeah. Temurio with Pulas in very close second. Yeah, and uh, Sina. Yeah, you can't disagree with that. Yeah, same for me. I don't think there was a better player in terms of performance in ter- and in terms of effort better than Andranik. And uh, the fact that he was so passionate after the uh, Bosnia game, yeah. you just see him with the uh, tears in his... Uh, he plays team. for the badge, that's what it is. That's, and that's what yeah. we want to see. He plays for the badge, man. And that's and that's he gives it, he gave his all. He gave his heart out for the team, man. That's all we want to see. And I hope, I hope... We'll see that more in the Asian games. I hope the players come out and hopefully whoever's going to be our next manager. Because, you know, it's been, God, man, it's been more than a decade. I mean, it's been 20 years or something that we haven't, last time we won an Asian Cup. So, and, 40 years. Yeah, 40, yeah. 40 years. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, 1976. Yeah, so, so think about that and think about, you know, this is our next major uh, tournament that we have to play for and then we have just one year to prepare and it's going to be a transitional period, but who knows? And um, anything else you guys want to add that we haven't discussed? I think we've covered pretty much everything. Alrighty. Well, I want to thank the viewers. Uh, one thing that we do want to do, if you guys have any like comments or suggestions, or if you have any questions for us, please leave it. Uh, my Twitter name is at PASA021, at BobatGoldRees, at Sina, at S-I-N-A underscore S-A or you could just leave the comments on SoundCloud or wherever and just please give us your questions that for next time we could answer and uh, I really appreciate you guys for coming on this great two pan- panelists and from now on we're going to get other journalists and stuff coming on too and I appreciate Bob I can see for doing this with me and hopefully we'll, hopefully the future hopefully the future won't be bad as now it seems but hopefully it'll get better thank you guys cheers